Equine health is our business, horses and education are our passion. Welcome to the EquiConnect podcast. Here, we will have case-based conversation and talk about interesting news and information with the goal of sharing knowledge, focusing on equine health. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest installment of the EquiConnect Equine Podcast, brought to you by McKee Panel Equine Services in Ontario, Canada. My name is Dr. Kyle Goldie, and uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be your your sole host for the day. Of course, it won't be as exciting as uh, when I have my my regular co-host, Karen. But uh, unfortunately, due to uh, COVID and all that type of thing, uh, just uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I'm all you've got for uh, for the time being. Karen will be back at the uh, the earliest opportunity, but uh, just unfortunately can't join me for this episode. So uh, we'll just have to make do. But anyway, I think I've chosen a, a great topic for today and one that uh, is surely on all of our minds at this time of, of year. First of all, let me say, I hope everybody's handling the whole COVID thing. All right. I know it's been uh, been a really tough time uh, for everybody. It's been a tough time for horse owners and, and people in all aspects of the industry. And I just hope everybody's holding up okay. As we say, we're all in this together and uh, don't be afraid to ask for help because I, I'm sure there's, uh, there's, there's all kinds of people out there that are happy to help in any way that they can as we try to come out of this thing. So uh, without further ado, as I say, we've we've chosen a, an interesting topic for the day, and that is the topic of deworming and just equine parasitology in general. So I'm going to refer quite heavily to the American Association of Equine Practitioners Parasite Control Guidelines uh, document. This is a document that was compiled by uh, numerous parasitologists and uh, and veterinarians who sort of. Uh, came up with a consensus statement on on how we should regard equine parasitology, and of course, as veterinarians, we get asked all kinds of questions about uh, about deworming, and it's frustrating from a uh, veterinary perspective because there just don't seem to be a lot of cut and dry answers for us, but I can imagine it's equally frustrating for clients because there just seems to be a lot of gray area. And I, I think another big issue is that tradition has made a lot of us feel as though we need to be deworming horses on a very regular basis and we have to be rotating dewormers and doing all these different things. And I think as some of these ideas have sort of fallen out of favor and uh, that's why I want this episode to we'll talk about some specifics but uh, I also want to just sort of enlighten people with some of the uh, many factors that go towards making a parasite control protocol for your particular farm and your situation because really there isn't one answer that's right for every farm so I, I hope you can bear with me in that respect. And we'll, as I say, we'll try to focus on some of the big ideas that will sort of get the, the gears turning and, uh, and start making you think uh, more about how to come up with the best parasite control program for your farm along with your veterinarian. So as I previously alluded to, the document uh, basically starts out by acknowledging that, you know, we've been dealing with a lot of these issues for 40 plus years and how much things have changed in that time. And, and one of the big things that's changed is the fact that the, the species of worms that we were initially quite concerned about, uh, being uh, Strongylus vulgaris and other large strongyles, are now, because of all the deworming we've done, quite rare. And uh, so in managed uh, equine 
environments, Strongylus vulgaris and, and large strongyles are generally not considered a, a real threat. Whereas uh, what have become the, the predominant causes of disease are what are referred to as small strongyles or cyathostomans and tapeworms. Those are the primary parasites of concern in adult horses. And then parascaris species or, or uh, roundworms are the most important affecting foals and weanlings. Uh, so another big concept that we're going to talk a lot about is anthelmintic. Uh, anthelmintic is just a $5 word for dewormer. Uh, anthelmintic resistance, which has become highly prevalent in those species that we're most concerned about. So uh, unfortunately, the species that we're most concerned about in adult horses are the cyathostomans and the parascaris species, or small strongyles and, and roundworms. And those are unfortunately where we see the bulk of uh, dewormer resistance. Another concept uh, to, to keep in mind is the fact that due to just varying immune systems and everything like that, individual horses have, have different uh, thresholds for how well they can tolerate the different species of, of worms. So something to keep in mind. And then finally, uh, horses that are less than three years of age require special attention. They have certain vulnerabilities that fully developed immune systems uh, just, just don't have to deal with. So one of the things that I think I uh, touched on earlier is the fact that there's a lot of uh, confusion in regards to deworming protocols. And I think that largely comes from the fact that for a long time, we said, oh, okay, you need to deworm your horses four times a year, and you need to use a uh, rotational deworming, and blah, 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 blah. And then it seems the pendulum has kind of swung where I think clients feel like they're being told the opposite, that we don't need to deworm our horses as often, and we don't need to uh, rotate with the same frequency. So uh, I've definitely heard of people that would say, uh, oh, my, my vet said that uh, we have to do a uh, rotational deworming. So what we're going to do is we're going to use a different dewormer each time. We're going to do it four times a year. And we're going to use a different dewormer each time, you know, and that, that's a rotation. Okay, sure. Makes sense. And then I've heard uh, people say, well, no, my vet told me that what we're going to do is we're going to do rotational deworming, but we're going to do it. We're going to use the same dewormer for one year. And then the next year we're going to go to a different dewormer. Okay. So that's going to be our rotation. And so you, you can understand why, or I, I can understand why this would be confusing for horse owners because uh, it just seems like there's so much variation in, in what, what uh, everyone's being told. And I think that's just because uh, the nature of uh, parasitology has just changed that, that much over the years. So a couple of, uh, of key concepts to understand. Number one is anthelmintic resistance. So anthelmintic, again, dewormer resistance. So resistance is the ability of worms in a given population to resist being killed by a particular dewormer. And often that can be broken down not only to a particular species, but also to a particular stage of infection. So it's going to be a little bit, it's kind of overkill to, to talk about all the different stages of infection, but it's, there's a life cycle to all these different species. And, and certain dewormers work on only a particular uh, stage of that life cycle. So that's just all you need to understand there. But basic dewormer resistance is a genetic trait okay, that is passed down from generation to generation. And this is much the same as antibiotic resistance that we see with bacteria. So what happens is we expose the, the worms to a particular dewormer. And particularly if um, the wormer is 
perhaps underdosed or they've seen this dewormer many times, what can happen is uh, the dewormer kills all of the susceptible worms, but ends up actually selecting for the worms that have the resistance genes. So basically it kills the weak ones, the strong ones survive, uh, and then those same strong ones are allowed to reproduce. And now all of a sudden you're seeing more and more resistance because those genes convey a certain amount of fitness to the next generation. So that's, that's the big concept there. And another important concept to uh, think about is what's referred to as refugia. So uh, parasite refugia um, basically refers to all of the worms in the environment that are, are not affected by treatments. Okay, so that would include worms within a given horse that are at certain stages that uh, make them not susceptible to that particular dewormer free living parasites in the pasture and uh, parasites in animals that weren't treated. So having a high proportion of worms in refugia means that you have a high proportion of susceptible worms that dilute the resistance genes. I hope that makes sense. Basically what you're hoping for is to have a high number of parasites in the environment in general that are not resistant, okay, so that they dilute the resistance. That is something that is obviously important because we don't want to continually be selecting for all of these resistant traits. Uh, one thing that we were always warned in vet school was that they really haven't come out with any new dewormers in a long time, and realistically, there aren't any new ones on the horizon. So we have to accept the fact that the dewormers that we have on the shelves today are the dewormers that we will have for the foreseeable future. So we can't risk worms developing resistance to all of these dewormers because then we just we don't have any guns to use anymore, so to speak. So we have to make sure that we use our dewormers effectively, accepting the fact that that's all we've got, okay? So that's a big concept with uh, refugia and with uh, anthelmintic resistance. So another uh, really interesting uh, concept is how do we actually determine if there is resistance in a given environment? Well, the way we do that is what's called a fecal egg count reduction test. And basically what that does is we take a fecal sample. So I, I think um, a lot of horse owners are becoming more and more familiar with the idea of submitting a manure sample to their veterinarian. And what the veterinarian will do is send that to a lab. Some veterinarians will do this in-house, but most, most of the time it's just sent to a lab. Uh, and they're going to perform what's called a fecal egg count, which is supposed to give you the number of eggs per gram of manure. Okay. So what you do in a fecal egg count reduction test is you do a fecal and then you treat the horses with whatever dewormer you are planning on using and theoretically want to test. And then about 14 days after the treatment, uh, you do a repeat of the fecal egg count. And um, basically there is a chart that tells you ideally how much of a reduction in the parasite load you're supposed to observe. So for example, so let's say we're gonna do a fecal egg count reduction test and we're gonna use ivermectin, okay? So we're gonna do our, our fecal egg count and we find out that, uh, oh my goodness, there's a thousand 
eggs per gram. Okay, I've I've just I've just committed to using math here, so you'll have to bear with me if I screw if I screw up. But anyway, so okay, let's say let's say we do our fecal egg count, and there are a thousand eggs per gram that come back. We do our fecal egg count. We find it's a thousand. Then we do our treatment. Then fourteen days later, we do our next fecal egg count. That second fecal egg count should have shown a ninety nine point nine percent reduction in fecal egg count. Okay, compared to the first one, if there's no resistance, if the the sample or if the population of of worms is susceptible, not really any evidence of resistance, you should have a greater than 98% reduction. You start to wonder if you have some resistance going on, if it's only a 95 to 98% reduction. If the resistance genes are prevalent, uh, there should be a less than 95% reduction in fecal egg count. So I hope that makes sense to everybody. Basically, if there's no resistance, that second fecal egg count should show a 99.9% reduction in fecal egg count. If there's resistance, there will likely be a less than 95% reduction in fecal egg count. Okay. So from that information, you've determined whether or not that particular type of worm shows resistance to the particular type of dewormer that you used for this particular test. Does that make sense to everybody? I hope so. I've, I've done my best to explain it. I'm sorry if I've screwed it up. Please don't hesitate to contact me and I can help answer any questions. Okay. So that's the fecal egg count reduction test. And it's uh, recommended to include at least six horses in a fecal egg count reduction test on each farm. That just allows you to do a good average. And uh, horses shouldn't have uh, received any dewormer at least eight to 12 weeks prior to commencing the fecal egg count reduction test. Okay, another interesting concept is the egg reappearance period, and that's basically the time interval between the last effective anthelmintic treatment and the resumption of significant strontangile egg shedding. And there's some interesting data here. So um, basically, this is referring to small strontangiles. We'll go back to ivermectin, but the usual uh, egg reappearance period for ivermectin, for example, is six to eight weeks. So basically, six to eight weeks after a treatment with ivermectin, you can expect to start seeing eggs show up again. Okay, so that just means that there's new worms present uh, that are starting to uh, reproduce. Okay, um, that changes for different uh, dewormers. So fembendazole and pyrantel, it's only four to five weeks before you start seeing uh, eggs coming back. Moxidectin, which is Quest, is, uh, is anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks. So it's got a, a longer uh, sort of residual period Period. The interesting thing here with egg reappearance periods is that uh, when the drug was first introduced, the egg uh, reappearance period was considerably longer than it is in present day. So for example, the, the generally accepted egg reappearance period uh, for moxidectin or Quest right now is 10 to 12 weeks. When the drug was first introduced, it was 16 to 22 weeks. So it gives you an idea that these limited dewormers that we have don't work as well as they used to. So this sort of reinforces the idea that we do have to pay special attention to these dewormers and equine parasite control in general. Okay, so basically horses that are grazing together have the same parasite population, but the horses in that particular group, in that 
particular pasture will have dramatically different levels of shedding. So to go back to the, uh, the paper, any group of mature horses greater than three years, the strongyle egg counts are highly concentrated in certain horses such that 15 to 30% of adult horses usually shed approximately 80% of the eggs. This characteristic is very stable over time. So uh, a horse that is a high shedder has a tendency to always be a high shedder at shedding of eggs, whereas a horse that has a tendency to be a low shedder will generally always have a low fecal egg count. So what we like to do is try to identify the horses that are high versus medium versus low shedders, okay? And the best way to do that is with uh, doing fecal egg counts. So we wanna classify these horses into uh, low, moderate, and high shedders. But one thing that is important to do before we make that assessment is we should consider the egg reappearance period of the last dewormer that we used. So generally, we're supposed to use a sample that is collected four weeks beyond the egg reappearance period to really do a fair test. So moxidectin quest has an egg reappearance period of 10 to 12 weeks. So we're supposed to theoretically take at least 16 weeks before we collect a fecal to assess whether or not that horse is a, a low, moderate, or high shedder. It's not a perfect rule or anything like that, but generally low shedders are those, or low contaminators, whatever you want to call them, are those horses who have an eggs per gram of zero to 200. That makes up about 50 to 75% of the population. Moderate contaminators are those with a fecal egg count of 200 to 500. That makes up about 10 to 20% of the population. And high contaminators have generally over 500 eggs per gram, and that's uh, 15 to 30% of the population. As I say, those are generally consistent over time. So what is the goal of parasite control? Well, the true goal is to limit parasite infection so that animals remain healthy and clinical illness does not develop. Uh, the goal is not to eradicate all parasites from a particular individual. Remember that concept of refugia, right? We want there to be enough susceptible uh, parasites in the environment, in the horse, etc., to compete with those uh, resistance genes and dilute those out, right? So what are the reasons to perform fecal egg counts? Fecal egg counts can be used to evaluate the anthelmintic efficacy using the fecal egg count reduction test. Uh, they can be used to evaluate and monitor the egg reappearance period uh, of the most recently administered dewormer. Uh, they can be used to determine the shedding status of the horse at the time of sampling, and they can be used to determine whether parasite burdens and foals and weanlings are primarily roundworm or uh, strongyle. Uh, one thing that is important about sampling manure for uh, fecal egg counts, uh, diarrhea is not acceptable, fecal samples that are frozen or have been frozen are not acceptable, and generally we want uh, fairly fresh samples. So they should be stored in an airtight, uh, leak-proof container, generally less than about 12 hours, but need to be refrigerated immediately. I generally try to find samples that are as fresh as possible. Sometimes I'll even just do a rectal um, exam on the horse and just take a, a like a small handful of manure out of the rectum directly, uh, and that's about as fresh as you can get. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll often use those. Uh, then we want to refrigerate that right away. 
to reduce the potential for the eggs, which we're trying to count from hatching, right? Because if they hatch, we're not going to be able to count those those eggs. So that's why that's why we're refrigerating them. So basic concept is no diarrhea, fresh samples, refrigerated right away, and um, and yeah, that's that's about it. I think there's a there's an opportunity for large farms that really want to take their fecal egg counts um, seriously. They could do that on farm. There are uh, some different kits available and and some training available so that you can do that yourself. Uh, I think it would also help to to decrease the cost. Whereas you know, for the average horse owner that has you know one or two horses, maybe it's it's just easy enough just to, to collect a couple samples and send them to your veterinarian. But uh, but yeah, in theory, there are some at home testing kits that are possible. And do make sure that uh, that the test you're using is is well evaluated and accurate and everything like that because if it's not what's the point in doing it right okay so mainly we've talked about the small strongyles and large strongyles as well as roundworms um, but there are some other worms that uh, or some other parasites that should be considered so um, tapeworms are uh, one one class tapeworms uh, have been linked to types of colic and so should be considered uh, important. So testing for tapeworms can be somewhat uh, challenging and finding eggs using the routine methods, they're not reliable. There is a, a research group that is trying to develop a actual uh, serological test. So that's basically a test that's looking for antibodies against tapeworm to help diagnose those infections more reliably. But uh, I'm not sure how commercially available those are. Because tapeworms are common and widely distributed, there's generally an assumption that horses will get infected with tapeworms over the course of a grazing season. So we generally just assume that they have reached an unacceptable level and should be treated for it. And if timed properly, you can get by with a single tapeworm treatment in a, in a season. So what most people do is do a single tapeworm treatment. So you can either use the drug Praziquantel which is packaged with either ivermectin or moxidectin. And the main brand names of those are uh, Quest Plus or Equivalent Gold. So either of those will take care of tapeworms and also a double dose of uh, Pyrantel. So a double dose of Strongid uh, is also capable of killing tapeworms. Or a double dose of Strongid is, uh, or Pyrantel Pamoid is also capable of killing tapeworms. We generally reserve that tapeworm treatment for the late fall or winter after the tapeworm transmission has ended due to cold weather. So parascaris species or roundworm infections, also called ascarids, are the most important uh, parasites affecting foals and in high numbers can cause just poor growth and just poor doing foals in general. Those uh, worms can migrate and cause uh, airway inflammation, cough, nasal discharge, etc. Infection poses a risk for small intestinal impactions that can carry kind of a, a poor prognosis. So um, parascaris species, roundworms, ascarids, they're all the same thing. They are the main parasites affecting foals. They can cause poor growth, cough, nasal discharge um, due to larval migration. They can also cause quite severe colics by uh, inducing uh, small intestinal impactions and intestinal rupture. Uh, so yeah, obviously very, uh, very serious. There are a couple different 
ways of deworming a, uh, a fold that's heavily infested with roundworms. Generally, Safeguard uh, or, or Fembendazole is considered an, an okay treatment cho- choice and is more appropriate than something that has a uh, considered a paralytic mode of action It could because that can cause a, uh, a small intestinal impaction. Uh, we do occasionally see roundworm infections in adult horses, but uh, they generally aren't going to cause clinical disease. There is high evidence of resistance of roundworms to ivermectin and moxidectin, um, and some early evidence of resistance to pyrantel and benzimidazoles. But uh, because the benzimidazoles have the non-paralytic mode of action, they are the best choice for roundworms. So that's just something to consider. Pinworms or Oxyurus equi are another equine parasite. And uh, these are the ones that are most commonly linked to uh, horses rubbing their bums and that type of thing. These infections are generally not seen on um, fecal egg counts because the eggs uh, tend to be stuck to the horse's uh, perineum and anus. So yeah, you generally won't find those eggs on your on your fecal egg count. Um, but if you do observe that behavior, it is reasonable to think that uh, maybe the horse should be dewormed, and because if there's a pinworm infection, that might sort that that issue out. So pinworms is what you're looking at uh, potentially if if you've got a bum a horse with a, an itchy bum. Of course, that could be a dermatological thing or any number of possibilities. But pin, pinworms uh, would be a reasonable assumption and uh, are fairly easy to treat with uh, with routine deworming. Finally, we we often hear about bots, and uh, you know I, I know a lot of people say, oh yeah, you use ivermectin or moxidectin in the fall along with. Uh, the praziquantel to do bots and tapeworms. But um, realistically, yes, we do want to uh, kill the bots and we do that in late fall, or early winter. But generally, bots aren't really a big concern in terms of equine health. They're kind of unsightly and that type of thing, but they generally are not a, a cause of disease. Methods of parasite control. So um, yeah, we've talked a lot about the different dewormers and, and that type of thing, but so there's some other other things that should also be considered. So first of all, environment-based approaches. Strongyle parasites begin life as an egg in a manure pile. And so uh, the, the faster that that manure pile can be removed from the pasture, uh, the less likely it is to be a source for contamination of that, par- that pasture with parasites. So that's where you start to see the vacuum units um, becoming popular uh, to just pick up those uh, those piles as quickly as they're, they're generated to minimize the parasite load on the pasture. Another concept is environment control. So uh, one thing would be making sure that uh, manure is composted because the, uh, the heat generated from composting is generally not hospitable for the parasites. Non-composted manure should never be spread on a pasture because that's only going to increase the uh, the parasite load on the pasture. And one thing that has been considered is leaving pastures unoccupied and and sort of letting the contaminated uh, pasture and the 
parasites on it sort of run its course. That can be useful in hot weather, but in in cooler weather, some of those uh, larvae, um, the L3 larvae, are infective for six to nine months. So that's not really a an effective uh, strategy. One of the take-home messages with regards to environmental control and that type of thing is that we really shouldn't be deworming horses when the refugia is going to be quite low and that would be in the winter and in the hot summer months there just isn't going to be a lot of refugia there isn't going to be a lot of parasite uh, in the pasture or anything like that and so if we can reduce the number of dewormings by trying to maintain as much refugia as possible that will in the long run decrease anthelmintic resistance so just something to keep in mind Um, So, you know, the idea of deworming horses throughout the winter months and things like that, it's unnecessary, you know, and of course, there's exceptions to every rule. And, you know, with uh, with young horses and and, uh, foals, weanlings, those those uh, those vulnerable uh, animals. Yeah, you do need to do them over the over the winter months, but that's because they're susceptible to different parasites. Uh, Roundworms can be uh, transmitted within a stable environment, whereas the worms that we're worried about in adult horses, they're only getting from pasture. And that pasture has to be hospitable to worms, which it's not in the hot summer months or in the winter. So just keep that in mind. There have been a few alternative remedies that I've heard of over the years. I know people have mentioned uh, pumpkin seeds as one and uh, diatomaceous earth as another. Yeah, anyway, there's a few of these things that I've heard put forth as as potential uh, alternatives to dewormers, but uh, none of these things have any proven efficacy, so I I wouldn't uh, rely on them as a dewormer strategy, okay? So we can start focusing on some more specific uh, parasite control programs uh, for some different age groups. We'll divide them into adults and young horses, okay? And of course, there's going to be some other groups, but we won't worry about those, the specifics of those right now. I'm thinking um, uh, pregnant brood mares, uh, lactating mares, that type of thing. We won't worry about the specifics of, uh, of those. Let's just talk about adult horses in general. As I mentioned previously, large strongyles um, used to be the the main cause of uh, parasitic disease in adult horses, but now our big concern are the small strongyles, the cyathostomin parasites. What makes these so particularly dangerous is the fact that the life cycle of these small strongyles involves a stage where the larvae migrate from the gut lumen into the walls of the cecum and colon where they insist and undergo a period of almost hibernation, okay, waiting to emerge. These um, larval, uh, insisted larvae uh, accumulate over the course of the grazing season and generally reach maximum amounts in the late fall. Where there's a risk for disease is when there can be a sudden emergence of all of these insisted larvae. Uh, and what can uh, what can happen is a, a situation called larval seathostomonosis, which is uh, this synchronous emergence of insisted larvae and uh, a subsequent colitis. This is generally a concern in horses less than about six years of age, um, but nevertheless, it's a it's a concern and something that needs to be uh, carefully uh, considered in our deworming protocols. So because of the severe risk to horses from uh, small strongyles, 
that's the primary focus of our deworming programs, um, particularly for adult horses. In general, though, when, when things are timed appropriately and when we know our drugs are working effectively on a given farm, treatment it can be isolated to two separate uh, treatments of dewormer. So generally we're referring to a treatment in the spring and a treatment in the late fall, early winter kind of thing. So generally that spring dewormer treatment, um, it doesn't want to be specific. It seems as though the most appropriate choice in terms of avoiding resistance would be an ivermectin, but this can be discussed with your veterinarian. Um, so that's the spring treatment. And then the fall treatment should ideally focus on trying to treat these insisted cyathostomans so we don't run into any risk of that uh, synchronous emergence of the insisted uh, larva uh, and subsequent larval cyathostomanosis. Sorry, I'm using a lot of ridiculous words here, but uh, um, that's that's the nature of parasitology. So uh, I can I can assure you it was not a lot of vets' favorite uh, topic in, in vet school. It's a it's a big area, um, and then we had to know it for all, all different species. So it was uh, it was t- challenging for sure. So generally, our fall treatment should first and foremost focus on the presence of insisted cyathostomans to reduce the potential for this synchronous emergence of multiple, um, you know, thousands and thousands of larvae from the, from the gut wall uh, simultaneously. So there are technically two drugs on the market that are labeled for that. One of them is a uh, high multi-day dose of fenbendazole, and the other is uh, moxidectin. So what I found is a lot of um, farms are using moxidectin in the fall to treat those insisted cyathostomes that would also treat bots. And then that moxidectin is generally combined with praziquantel. Uh, the combination with praziquantel makes for a very broad spectrum deworming at the end of the grazing season. The praziquantel, of course, is there to treat tapeworms. So basically, what, what ends up happening is we have sort of this broad spectrum treatment of worms as they go into the non-grazing season um, and, and sort of cleans out the pathological worms. So that's the, uh, that's the ideal goal there. So a couple of other things to keep in mind with regards to deworming adult horses. We should definitely be trying to continually evaluate the efficacy of our dewormers on a given farm. Ideally, this would be done about every three years, and that would be done with a fecal egg count reduction test. Exactly. So we're going to focus on about two yearly deworming treatments. Um, However, that's going to be not necessarily appropriate for the the high shedders okay so our high shedders again will likely be treated three times throughout the grazing season okay so the bulk of our horses can be treated uh, in the spring and late fall Uh, high shedders would get a treatment in the uh, summer period as well okay we're generally trying to do these treatments during peak transmission so spring and fall not necessarily uh, worrying too much about the hot summer months because the survival of the larva in the pasture is uh, quite quite poor at that point i guess what i'm getting to is there's a reason for all of this stuff those are some some points to think about for our adult horses for 
foals, weanlings, yearlings. Generally, we don't do a, a whole lot in this category based on fecal egg counts or, or anything like that. We are making a lot of assumptions about the fact that these horses should generally be considered susceptible to parasitic disease. And second of all, they are likely to be high shedders just because their immune system is still developing. So during their first year of life, foals should receive about four treatments with a dewormer. Generally, the first dose should be administered about two to three months of age using fembendazole. Now, why fembendazole? Um, it seems to be quite safe. And secondly, it has demonstrated good efficacy against roundworms. And of course, roundworms are our main concern in young foals. The second deworming is recommended just before weaning at approximately four to six months of age. And then at the time of weaning, a fecal egg count should be performed. The reason we do the fecal egg count at this stage is not so much to worry about uh, numbers of, of fecal eggs, but uh, the, the big thing we're concerned about is what species is predominant uh, in the foals at this time. So if the fecal egg count shows that ascarids are still the predominant species, then we'll have to do an additional dewormer treatment with fembendazole because again, fembendazole is our main dewormer for roundworms. But if our fecal egg count after weaning has shown that our parasite population has shifted towards strongyles, small strongyles in particular, then we'll switch towards our dewormer that focuses on strongyles. So generally people would use ivermectin at that stage. And then these horses would receive ivermectin about uh, every three to four months until they are two to three years of age, depending on a, a few different situations. Foals and young horses are still susceptible to tapeworms. So that, uh, that nine month um, deworming treatment on our young foals uh, should also include Praziquantel to take care of tapeworms. If you are working on a farm uh, or own a farm that um, that has a lot of young horses, fecal egg count reduction tests should be performed yearly just to make sure that the anthelmintics we're using are showing good efficacy against strongyles and roundworms. And if they aren't, then changes can be made. Another parasite that can affect uh, young foals that often comes up in discussion uh, is Strongyloides westeri. Uh, and Strongyloides westeri is kind of interesting because it is passed to the foal through uh, the mare's milk. So it's um, because of this parasite that we do the deworming uh, right around uh, the time of foaling to minimize the amount of transfer of uh, Strongyloides westeri uh, larva to the foal. It's believed that uh, Strongyloides westeri can cause diarrhea in foals, but it hasn't really been proven that that deworming the mares around foaling um, has much of an effect on preventing foal diarrhea. Another concept just from an environmental perspective is that uh, recently weaned foals should be turned out onto uh, the cleanest pastures possible uh, with the lowest parasite burdens. And that's just to, to minimize uh, contamination of their young guts. Uh, yearlings and two-year-olds should continue to be treated as high shedders and receive about three yearly treatments with efficacious drugs. So that goes back to that they need to be treated uh, through the grazing season as high shedders. So spring, summer, fall, um, but generally not in the winter. Okay, 
I really wish uh, you guys could ask, yeah, ask me questions here because I am sure there's the, there's some points that are that are missed or um, some some questions that have come up. But please don't hesitate to uh, to contact me, email me, anything like that at uh, Mickey Pound Equine Services, and I'd be happy to discuss things further. Or if at the very least this has just brought up some questions for you, by all means, I'm sure your veterinarian would be happy to uh, to discuss these things. So some some just general points to consider. Uh, moving forward, uh, we want to make sure that when we administer dewormer to horses and foals that we're, we're dosing them appropriately. Some people are better at guessing uh, horses and foals weight than others. I know as a veterinarian, I'm, I'm forced to do it on a fairly regular basis. And every once in a while, I'll have a patient that goes to um, a farm that has a, a scale. And it's nice to kind of compare what my guess is to the actual body weight. I'm usually within 100 pounds or so, but you can get a little, a little off. So um, don't be afraid to use a weight tape. Uh, or if you do have a scale available, use that so you can um, dose them as accurately as possible. Uh, remember that uh, small strongyles, large strongyles, and tapeworms are all acquired on pasture. So again, if, you, if you're timing your deworming treatments appropriately, spring, late fall, plus or minus that summer treatment for the high shedders, there really is no, no need to deworm horses over the winter. They shouldn't be getting any more worms, okay? However, ascarids and pinworms uh, can be acquired in uh, confinement as well. So that's why our, our foals uh, do need to be uh, treated more frequently. Do try to use fecal egg counts to determine the shedding status of uh, different uh, horses on your property so that um, you can identify those horses that should receive that third treatment through the grazing season. And also remember that the fecal egg count can be very useful for assessing drug efficacy. Because tapeworms can be difficult uh, to, to diagnose on uh, regular fecal egg counts, if it is possible to, uh, to have the tapeworm serology test done, uh, it's worth considering. And uh, the, the, the document that I've been referring to recommends at least 20% of the, uh, of the herd be, be tested. If that's not available, then, uh, then the assumption should be made that your horses uh, are getting contaminated with tapeworms over the grazing season and that that praziquantel uh, should be used in that late fall uh, deworming treatment. Do focus on some of the environmental factors. Um, it just like with, well, even if you think about COVID, it's a pretty good example of how we've been able to manage the disease quite well without a vaccine, for example. So diseases can be managed without drugs. Drugs are not necessarily a last resort, but we shouldn't rely on them exclusively. So think about things like stocking density, the amount of time that horses spend on pastures, obviously pastures that uh, aren't heavily foraged, those, those horses are generally going to have uh, lower fecal egg counts. If you have various ages of horses on farm, particularly young horses, those should be the young horses should be considered high shedders. If it's an open herd, uh, do consider biosecurity. So, uh, and I, I do find that time and time again, that is often overlooked on on farms. You know, really, we should be uh, thinking about quarantining new new horses on our farm ideally for a couple of weeks just to make sure that nothing shows up before they get introduced to the rest of the herd. And during that time, that, uh, that quarantine period, um, a fecal egg count and uh, deworming prior to turnout on with the uh, resident horses should be performed. And, uh, and do your best to minimize the amount of uh, contamination on the pasture. Um, so if there is any way to uh, pick pastures, uh, use vacuuming, 
uh, cross-grazing with other species. I can't remember if I've mentioned that yet, but uh, cross-grazing with another species is a really efficient way of uh, using pasture um, because obviously it, if, if pasture is at a premium, uh, it seems like kind of a waste to have it just sitting open when in theory, different species can occupy the uh, pasture at uh, different times and not contaminate one another. So for example, you could have two pastures, a cattle pasture and a horse pasture, and then they could switch. And horses aren't going to get any um, parasites from the cattle in the cattle pasture, and cattle aren't going to get any parasites from the horses when they go to the horse pasture. So it gives those those uh, pastures a time to sort of clean up without shutting them down completely. Uh, so that's uh, that's definitely something to consider. I hope this has opened your eyes up to the wonderful world of equine parasitology. There's a there's definitely a lot to think about, and uh, I, I do encourage you to discuss. Uh, your parasite control programs with your veterinarian. I guess the the big takeaways for me are let's try to use our fecal egg counts, um, identify high shedders, treat high shedders appropriately, so three times through the grazing season. Other horses should be treated twice through the grazing season, spring and fall, and that our fall treatment should focus on encysted cyathostomes and tapeworms. So we should be choosing a uh, a dewormer that can uh, deal with those. Yeah, I uh, I think that's about it. So talk to your veterinarian. If you have any questions uh, that you'd like to discuss with me, feel free to give me a call or, or contact me at McKee Panel Equine Services. I'd love to get your feedback and, uh, and help answer any questions I can. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Thanks a lot for always listening to the, uh, the podcast. And uh, hopefully as uh, COVID cools down and we get back into a, the regular swing of things, we'll be able to have Karen back on really soon. Thanks again for everything, everybody. Stay safe out there. This podcast is not a substitute for regular and emergency veterinary care. Our purpose is to inform and educate horse people. Not to diagnose and treat medical conditions without a valid veterinary client-patient relationship.